Abby, do you mind if I move your stuff? Yes, Sorry. Spray that everywhere. Abby's made herself at home up here. All right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, following Jude is a bit funny. I'm only 25, and I've lived in Northern Ireland and Scotland, and I'm feeling quite comfortable here, so I'm quite concerned. But um, yeah, I work with the students and the youth. Um, if you don't know me, uh, my name's Matthew. Um, but yeah, so we're going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's our series for the summer. And I'm not sure, I wasn't here this past couple of weeks, unfortunately. Um, I'm not sure if Jared or Jeff mentioned, but it's a bit strange to give a sermon on a sermon. Um, Jesus is delivering his declaration of the kingdom and his blueprint for Christian moral living, timeless wisdom straight from the Alpha and Omega, and he even uses some lovely images to illustrate his point, like salt and light. So the sermon is all there um, already for us. Um, Jesus is quite clear in these four verses, even this morning. He tells us who we are as followers of him, what we do, and for what purpose. And so I think, honestly, it might be more helpful for us to just break off into groups right now and chat about what it means to be salt and life in our own lives. Um, but maybe you can do that afterwards. Um, but yeah, just in this short time this morning that I'm sharing, I'll just try to help us shed some light, um, oh, if you'll pardon the pun, um, on what Jesus is calling us to and how we as individuals and as community can apply this salty, illuminating identity to our daily lives. Um, so I think, yeah, first let's consider what Jesus means by salt and light. Help to start there. Oops, sorry. Um, yeah, using these direct you are statements, Jesus calls us salt of the earth and light of the world, suggesting that we are to have a distinctive influence on where we've been placed and we're to have that influence by living out good deeds which glorify the Father. And so I really love these images of salt and light. Um, and I think given the context that he's speaking in, um, we can actually get a bit of an idea of what he means more specifically on, a, on an earthly level. Um, I think it's helpful just to start here. You'll likely know this passage very well and have heard these interpretations before, but I think it's helpful to just rattle through them quite quickly. Um, so yeah, with the salt, um, one major thing he seems to be communicating is our prevention of decay and corruption. Um, it's similar, yeah, this idea of using salt to prevent decay, sort of similar to the process that we'll use today to make really tasty things like prosciutto or salami or something like that. Salt would be rubbed into the meat to prevent uh, decay for it to last longer. Um, and so that would be one thing that he would be meaning uh, by uh, this image of salt. But I think as well as that, I think it's also worth mentioning that salt was of great value at this time. Um, Jesus is teaching in Roman occupied territory and uh, these Roman soldiers that would have been all around the area, they were actually paid in salt. I think that's uh, where you get that phrase of being worth your salt. Um, so I think also um, in some ways Jesus is saying when he says you are salt, He's saying you are valuable. Um, as a follower of him, um, 
you are extremely valuable to him and to the world around you. It doesn't say if you live up to every law perfectly, you're valuable. It's just a you are statement. You are salt. You are valuable. Um, so yeah, I think as we go through the Sermon on the Mount this summer, uh, it is really challenging. Um, it gets quite specific and it cuts deep, but it's also incredibly comforting. And so I hope we can have some comfort from that. But yeah, I think for me, the thing that stands out about salt um, and what, what would make me agree with the Romans that it's extremely valuable is that it brings flavor. Um, yeah, I would probably sp- spend a lot more money on salt um, if, it was, if it was worth more like in the Roman days because I think it's so worth it. Um, it's a vital commodity. And so, yeah, I was thinking about this and I actually lived with Abby um, and Xander uh, during um, my year just after graduating university. And I think during that time, I unfortunately developed a bit of a reputation for being a foodie, whatever that is, or a food snob or something like that. Um, Yeah, I don't know how it happened, to be honest. Um, But I even, like, after a few weeks, had someone say that they were scared to invite me around for dinner in case I didn't approve of what they they made. Um, Anyway, sorry, I'll stop using my time up here to clear my name in a bit. But... um, Yeah, please invite me for dinner. Um, The truth, I think, is that anyone can make something that tastes amazing if they master the use of salt, right? Um, And this is one of my main memories of living with Abby and Xander is I made something one time and it was like, it was nice, it was good. And Abby was like, what's in this? And I was like, lots of salt. (laughs) Um, She was like, oh, great. Abby's also a great cook, by the way. Um, But yeah... Whatever it is, whether it's your fancy mold and sea salt that you're spending a lot of money on or your Tesco basics, um, uh, just table salt, whatever it is, there's no other earthly compound like salt that brings out the natural flavor in food. Um, Like I thought that I didn't like tomatoes, for example, until I put some salt on them and I was like, these are class. So yeah, um, the point being, I think we can think a lot about salt preventing decay. Uh, We can think of it in that term of the world being dark and decaying and needing that prevention. But also, I think it's important to balance that with this idea of adding flavor um, to something that is already there. The goodness of the tomato is already there, but you sprinkle the salt on and it gets drawn out. It gets transformed. Yeah, and that's our role um, from our perspective as Christ followers in being salt in the world. Um, When God said, let there be light at the beginning of creation, he meant it. And although, um, yeah, the fall has happened, there is goodness and there is light uh, to be found and to be drawn out and to be redeemed. Um, But yeah, you might think that maybe that's a bit of a stretch, pulling that all the way out to just talk about cooking. Um, with Jesus' use of this image of you are the salt of the earth, but I think a man who cooked fish over a fire pit for his friends definitely cares about flavor. Um, So yeah, uh, I said this would be quick, so I don't want to labor this, but I think when we turn to light then, um, Jesus uses uh, this image of light almost as an extension out of what he's already talked about with the salt. So um, light illuminates darkness, it exposes the evil, 
It brings it out into the open. It reduces its power. But then also, light illuminates the good, what's already there. It brings previously unseen beauty out into the open. Um, and I think these illustrations that Jesus uses in his sermon, um, they really still apply today. I don't think you have to look very far to see that there is darkness in our world. There is decay and corruption in our world. And we, yeah, that requires action uh, to fight against it. And hopefully as well, um, you're not completely pessimistic and you can see um, that there's beauty in the world as well to be drawn out and to be redeemed and to be credited to our creator as well. So yeah, that was just to add a little bit of context of where we're, where we're coming from with these images. But having understood some of what Jesus is saying here, how are we to respond to the fact that we are salt and light? We've been looking at the Beatitudes for the past couple of weeks. And with the Beatitudes, we can kind of reflect on ourselves. We can say, am I meek? Am I merciful? Am I a peacemaker? Um, but when it turns to salt and light, Jesus doesn't really give us the choice to ponder it. He's just like, you are. Uh, yeah, you are salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And even further, he actually says, you cannot be hidden. Um, and I think sometimes as Christians, we can sort of slip into thinking that we've like autonomously chosen to follow Jesus, that it was all of our choice we've been like, okay, this makes sense, I'm going for this, and then we can decide what it means for our lives. Um, and I think that's an especially tempting idea um, in the society that we currently live in, um, which encourages us to think individually about our identity. Um, you know, we're to let our own personal light shine, um, and we, you know, have the right to be salty if we aren't acknowledged for it. That would be the way that modern youths talk about being salty. Um, I'm your, your Gen Z correspondent here. But um, yeah, this idea of being salty is more of a like entitlement, not getting what you want, being a bit annoyed. Um, and so this is the context that we're living in and it feels extremely unnatural to just accept a you are statement, um, especially a you are statement that will change the way you live and cause you to be noticed and maybe even persecuted. Um, so yeah, this can be quite unsettling for some people, but alternatively, you might find these UR statements unsettling in a different way. You might um, find them hard to accept that Jesus could be talking about you here. Um, maybe you feel yourself too dark or decaying to take on an identity that stands strongly against those things. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really, it is kind of quite hard to hear Jesus, Jesus just straight and just say, okay, I'm salt and light because you say so. Teach me and lead me, Lord. Um, that's a difficult thing to do, but I think that's exactly what we should do. Um, yeah, the passage uh, calls us to good works. Um, that, yeah, that they may uh, glorify your Father in heaven. And Jared mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that in John 6, um, yeah, we hear that the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So I think we should believe, we should trust, and I think we absolutely can trust 
in these words in Matthew 5. I think one of the reasons that I think we can trust them is, there's many reasons, but one of the reasons is that when he's first speaking these words, he's speaking, there's a crowd in the background, but he's speaking primarily to his disciples. He's speaking to fishermen, tax collectors, rebel zealots, and we are still talking about them today. Um, So as unlikely as it would have seemed to them, they were salt and light. Um, They had an influence, they were distinctive, and many lives have been blessed to the glory of God through them. So I think um, despite our own sinful nature and our tendency to slip towards that darkness and that decay and that corruption, God can do great things in us too. But yeah, I guess if we can accept that then, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to accept that we are salt and light? So I think clearly it ought to mean that we are living in the world, but we're distinctive, we're noticeably different. And clearly I think given the condition of the world due to sin, there is a need for those trying to live as salt and light, trying to uphold the right way to live, the right way for humanity. And I think just with that basic thing said, that gives dignity to all of us who uh, follow Christ. It doesn't matter what kind of worldly success we have. If we have faith, if we're living on our faith, Jesus says, you are salt, you are light. You're successfully answering your call by living out your faith. But I'm probably not satisfied with that naturally. And I think naturally, I'll probably go to sort of thinking of big things, right? When I'm thinking of, oh, what's my influence on the world? What's my distinctiveness as salt and light? What should that be? And, 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 and usually what I'll do is I'll, I'll think big and then I'll feel kind of inadequate when I'm thinking like, oh, wow, imagine if God wanted to use me in that way to stand against corruption and evil and all of these things. Um, Yeah, and as I was thinking about all of these things this weekend, a film came out on Twitter. I don't know if anyone's watched it. Um, Kind of controversial film. It's called What is a Woman? Um, So yeah, uh, just as I was thinking about these big gestures of standing um, against corruption, against evil, um, this is a film uh, that just came out on Twitter at the weekend. And It's a documentary made by an American conservative political commentator. Um, He's trying to raise awareness of the harmful outcomes of uh, transgender ideology. And um, he is a practicing Christian. He's a a Catholic, uh, Matt Walsh. And uh, he strongly opposes um, many different issues, um, such as transition surgery, shared bathrooms, all of these things. And it's an interesting film. Um, It's quite, in some ways, quite an impressive film. It brings up some heartbreaking stories. It brings up some really strong arguments. And when I last checked last night, it had over 140 million views. I think it only came out the other day. Um, And I think, yeah, no doubt it has 140 million views. It's going to have a huge influence on many people. And I reckon Matt Walsh, no doubt, believes he is helping to expose darkness and prevent decay. But 
I was thinking when I saw this film, is this what Jesus had in mind when he told us to be salt and light? Is this the kind of gesture? Is this the kind of way of living? And I don't want to slam the whole film. Like I think there are some some good intentions to it, absolutely. Um, but I'm not sure this is exactly the way Jesus is calling us to um, to salt and light. It's an interesting film, but at times it's really mocking, really othering, really brazen. Uh, there's not a huge amount of love for the opposition that he sets himself up against. Um, he's a very intelligent guy, and, and the film is really interesting. But uh, another thing I was thinking was it's it's highly edited, it's curated, it's packaged up for its target audience, it's marketed on Twitter, and really f- the reality for most of us living out our lives, living out our call to be salt and light, is that we don't get to be that glamorous and polished. We're called not to hide our light, but to put it on a stand. And generally, the lampstands of history, so to speak, haven't been very easy for Christians. They haven't been able to edit. They haven't been able to promote. They haven't been able to you know, package something for an audience. They've just been living their lives and reacting and trying to live for Christ. You know, whether that be in the Colosseum, or whether that be in the Houses of Parliament fighting for abolition of slavery, or, or maybe even just a clunky and awkward conversation with people at work or with family. Uh, representing Jesus isn't always straightforward. Um, and I think with the Beatitudes, Jared and Jeff, uh, the last couple of weeks, were saying that it's these everyday, difficult, uh, humble experiences, experiences of living, um, living into your identity of salt and light. It's those things, living out the Beatitudes, that is the good life. Um, the Beatitudes in action leads to true blessedness, secure in the hope of eternity. And I think this is one continuous piece of teaching from Jesus, right, that we see in in our text in Matthew. And following straight on from the Beatitudes, we arrive at salt and light. And they're integrally linked. Um, Living as salt and light is essentially putting the Beatitudes into action in the world amongst other people. And so believing it is the true way for human beings to live amongst each other so that they may see this and God may be glorified. And I believe for most of us, this will look like a quiet life. Um, Paul talks in his letter to the Thessalonians about living a quiet life, Uh, a life of being, as the Beatitudes say, a meek, pure-hearted peacemaker, but yet still passionate and thirsting for righteousness. Um. So yeah, as I was uh, thinking about this this past few days, it's it's been um, a bit of a tough week for me personally. Uh, a dear friend of mine's father, who I was very fond of, passed away um, prematurely on Thursday morning. And um, yeah, naturally, I just couldn't get him out of my head as I was preparing. So um, yeah, he, he had a shorter life than expected, but I think he lived the good life. Um, I'll not name him because... A direct quote from him is, uh, I'd run a mile over hot coals to avoid the spotlight. 
Um, and I think that kind of proves my point. Um, he worked for years as an auditor, and um, oh, <coughs> this is maybe a bad idea. Um, and he was the director of his boyhood football club. And uh, hmm. uh, yeah, I was looking at the Facebook comments. Um, Um, on uh, on his football club's Facebook page when they posted the sad news. And there are all these people, I don't even know if they knew him very well, but as they do, commenting underneath, just trying to give a summary of what this man's um, life was like. And um, yeah, just listen to, these are quotes from the comments. Um, they said he was modest, gentle, level-headed, offered no offense, genuine, passionate, lovely. He had humility and joy. Um, so I think in his quiet and modest life, um, he had been distinctive and influential on the people around him. Uh, that in my mind, is one way of living into this identity of salt and light. He was a man of faith, and it was evident. God was glorified in his, in his life. Hmm. Never done that before. Okay. Um, for those of us this morning, uh, we have our lives ahead of us. We have to keep going every day. How can we do that? Um, I think the key to this lies in verse 14 of the passage in Matthew, I naturally resonate more with the imagery of the salt, um, but I think the statement of you're the light of the world is much more than an image, actually. It is a continuation of that image of the salt, but this is also the name that Jesus gives himself. In John 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. So uh, not only are we the light of the world, Jesus says that you are the light of the world, but Jesus is our light. And so we will never walk in darkness. Um, and just as in Psalm 27, we read, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? <clears throat> it's by God's power that we continue to live as the light. Um, Psalm 27, we heard the whole thing read, but um, part of it, it paints a picture of the enjoyment and protection found in meeting with God by dwelling in his temple. It's a place truly set apart and distinctive from the outside earthly things. The holy of holies being the place set aside to be filled with the presence of God. But as we turn to the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' ministry, Jesus became man. He began teaching and announcing his kingdom. The supernatural met the natural. Heaven met earth. And so now after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, we've received the spirit of God and have become the new temple. An image of Christ himself as his church that is dynamic and can live amongst all people while still, still being by nature holy and set apart. 
So this is what Abby was saying with the kids earlier about the spirit being the light in us. And I think I have to admit that I used to quite struggle with that sort of message. Um, and maybe still do sometimes, but I would hear, if I would hear the preacher saying something like that, and I would say, I would hear them saying, I know it sounds hard to live this way, but don't worry, you're not really doing it anyway, it's God, so don't worry about it. Um, and I'd struggle to see my individual role within the corporate role of the church. I'd start to feel quite aware that a lot of the time I didn't really feel very filled with the Spirit. Um, I think this was especially prevalent during my sort of late teenage years after I became a Christian. Well, I'd become a Christian uh, younger, but I'd sort of decided again to follow Jesus uh, when I was 15 at an SU camp. And when I went back to school after the summer, I was really disturbed that I was making mistakes and feeling sort of naturally drawn away from the moral living described in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'd begin to worry that maybe everyone else around me was doing something right that, that I was getting wrong. And I'd be hung up on these good deeds, this fruit, this um, outward uh, experience of this um, that I was supposed to be producing. Um, even though I, I, I just had this sort of stubborn unwillingness to carry them out. Um, rather than my enjoyment of God and his promises. Um, yeah, and, and I think speaking into that and, and coming from that point and, and, and understanding uh, God uh, and his love for me more, I think Second Corinthians 5 has been a really significant passage. I think it speaks strongly into this. Um, it helps me understand my position as a new creation in Christ and what that means uh, when I represent him. So I'll just read it. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, I think really importantly here, our sin isn't dodged. It's, yeah, our tendency to, to want to do the opposite of what God says isn't counted against us, but is reconciled in Christ on the cross. So each of us will have a unique but familiar story of brokenness. Not one of us here is immune from the effects of sin on our lives, but these stories are acknowledged. They're known by God and yet, he chose to save us from them, invite us into the ministry of saving others from their stories of darkness. And the ministry doesn't happen despite these broken stories, but through them and their redemption, with God using them to allow us to communicate his grace and love to others. We were talking a bit about this at summer school actually recently with the Navigators, if anyone was there. But 
I just think what could be more glorifying to our good father than that? And I know we sang um, a one earlier, yeah, uh, the, the kids song earlier, which is great. It was the first time I'd heard that. Um, but one of my favorites on this topic is called Shine by Nick Jackson. Um, and I think it makes the point really well. Uh, we used to sing it like every day at this camp that I did as a teenager and the lyrics kind of got lost on me. But came back into my head this week when I was reading the passage. And I just think that they're excellent. So here's the lyrics. So we'll not sing it. But <laughs> it says, shine from the inside out that the world will see you live in me. Know me, love me, fill me, send me to shine. And I think the great thing about kids' songs is that they know their audience, right? Kids are always asking questions. Um, And I think the question that this one is answering is a relatable one for all of us. It's just, who am I? In Christ, we're known and loved as an individual, part of something bigger than ourselves, filled with the spirit and equipped to be sent into the world, whatever that might look for us today. And so just as salt is made up of many unique grains and light is made up of many beams, there's diversity and there's fellowship um, in our sort of salt and light way of life. It's not just an individual calling but neither is it a personality-crushing, homogenous, just action of the church. God's given each of us particular skills and desires, strengths, weaknesses, workplaces, friends, families, in which we get to be salt and light. And the saltiness and light-giving is not just for the benefit of those outside of the church um, in some sort of like binary evangelistic way, but um, we should be shining before everyone. It just says others in the, in the verse. Um, I think that includes our Christian brothers and sisters, giving glory to God in our fellowship with one another. And fellowship's something that I've been thinking about quite a lot recently. Um, and I think it's absolutely key if we were to put these beatitudes into action, if we're to live out this salt and life, salt and light life. Um, especially when we get into these extremely challenging things that we'll get into into in the next few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. So, um, yeah, one of these passages I've been thinking about a lot recently that says a lot to this is 1 John 1, 5 to 10. It says, This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. His son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Um, So yeah, fellowship with God and with one another is key to walking in the light and continuing to live into our identity that Jesus has given us in the passage this morning. Um, At the start of the passage, um, we haven't talked about it yet, but there's like a stern warning that if the salt loses its saltiness, it's no good for anything and should be thrown out. 
And the key, I think, to avoiding this, to avoiding losing your saltiness and continuing to walk in the light, according to this passage, is a fellowship of confession and forgiveness, both with God and with one another. We must start here daily, humbling ourselves and admitting our brokenness, yet allowing ourselves to be forgiven and made righteous to the glory of God. So I'm just going to close uh, by leading us in a time of confession before God and in the presence of one another so that we may have confidence in our identity as salt and light of the earth. So let's pray. Father, we come to you in confession now. Sorry that we often tread more on the path of darkness than the path that enables us to walk in the light in fellowship with you. Sorry that we give in to the temptation of what our culture tells us is the good life, not content with a quiet yet passionate and joyful life with you. Sorry that too often we are salty in the modern sense of the word, entitled and jealous of others making it hard for us to love them. Sorry that we dare to claim that we have not sinned in order to justify our actions. Let us not claim that we have not sinned. Let us confess openly, knowing our Father knows all things.